Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Congratulations, you found us. This is The Conspiracy Show. I'm Richard Serrett. Come on in. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. You are among friends. April 15th marks the 104th anniversary of the sinking of the Royal Mail Steamer Titanic in the uh, icy waters off the coast of Newfoundland. The unsinkable pride of the White Star Line went down with 1,500 passengers and crew. Uh, Petrea Patrick, author, filmmaker, activist, and author of Titanic, A Perfect Crime, is standing by. We'll get to her in just a few moments. Our audio engineer, Ian Robertson, is on the other side of the glass, twisting the dials and knobs. Albert Venzel, my story producer, is here running our HOA, Hangout On Air. Albert and I have also posted our usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits, fascinating news uh, stories, etc., in the slide carousel at the top of the website. So how do you find it? Well, here's what you need to do. It's very simple. Go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then you click on the radio page for The Conspiracy Show. Uh, and uh, there at the top is the slide carousel. There's a great story from GQ magazine about Tom DeLonge. Uh, now, I'm not real familiar with his orchestra, <laughs> Blink-182. I've heard about them. You know, the, uh, Ian is giving us the thumbs up. But Tom DeLong, interesting character, uh, former Blink-182 guitarist, and now um, he's Angels and Airwaves, I think, is the new band, isn't it? Ian, he's giving me the thumbs up. Yes, he's the front man for that. Anyway, he's, he's talking about, in this article, talking about his upcoming novel, Secret Machines, Chasing Shadows, UFOs, and Government Secrets That Will Rock Your World. We've got to get this young man on the program, Albert. All right, put that one down. Tom DeLong, uh, former frontman from 182, Blink 182, uh, very much interested in the whole UFO um, disclosure movement, I suppose. Well... Get in line, Tom. It's it's a growing, growing community, isn't it? Uh, anyway, there's also a video posted in the slide carousel. It's an excerpt from the Honorable Paul Hellier's speech on the need for bank reform here in Canada. Of course, we've talked a lot about that on The Conspiracy Show, both with Mr. Hellier and uh, with attorney Rocco Galati, who is uh, representing Mr. Hellier and others in a court case seeking to restore the true purpose of the Bank of Canada an interesting case, it may go to the Supreme Court, and this alleges conspiracy at the highest levels of government, including the Prime Minister, Finance Ministers, the Head of the Bank of Canada, even the Queen of England, I believe, is mentioned in this case. Uh, there is also a story posted there about why the mainstream media won't cover uh, the annual Bilderberg meeting. Uh, this year's gathering of the world's elite is slated for, I believe I've read May 19th to the 23rd, and it's either going to be they're going back to Chantilly, uh, in West Virginia, or perhaps another place um, suggested is Sierra Pines Resort, which is in Sierra, Northern California. Uh, and further to that, there's also a trailer in the slide carousel for Daniel Estelin's new documentary film, Bilderberg the Movie. And that leads me to one final reminder that Daniel will be presenting his new film, Bilderberg the Movie, Sunday, April 17th at the University of Toronto and delivering a 90-minute lecture. You don't want to miss this exclusive event, The Bilderbergs with Daniel Estulin, Sunday, April 17th, U of T. Uh, doors open at 3.30. 
You'll see the documentary, hear Daniel, uh, um, and he'll deliver this uh, 90-minute lecture. There'll be a Q&A and a book signing and a meet and greet. For more information or to purchase tickets, go to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca or visit my good friends, Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture, 1344 Bloor Street West here in Toronto. And get this, use the code name Prince Bernhardt and you'll receive 20% off your purchase tickets, a purchase of tickets. That promotion is good for in-store purchases only. Use the code phrase Prince Bernhardt. Uh, you can also order over the phone, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696, or online at conspiracyculture.com. The Bilderbergs with Daniel Estulin and yours truly, Sunday, April 17th, U of T. Hope to see you there. And reminder, this is your last week to get tickets, so don't delay any longer. All right, let's talk Titanic and other things. Petraea Patrick has produced and directed documentaries on subjects that impact us all. With her directing and writing style, she's been a vocal advocate for a stable economy, accountability on Wall Street, big banks, and protecting our ever-fragile ecology. She's spoken around the country on subjects that matter most to people. She's currently Director of Media Relations for the EMP Task Force on National and Homeland Security and the CEO of Heartfelt Films, a company dedicated to making documentary films and addressing social issues that affect us all. Her work in the visual platform of journalism excels in bringing us the real stories, films that help us to strengthen community, community awareness, and on a nation, nationwide level, uh, bring awareness on such platforms as national security, GMOs, big oil, big pharma, big agriculture, big banking, the Federal Reserve, education, social, social security, and health care. And these qualifications make her viable, a viable candidate for political office. In fact, she is running for Congress, uh, the, uh, the, the 30th district, I believe, up in, in California, and she's uh, always stood to get more women in politics to even the field. Now, if that's not enough, as a novelist, Petraea's new novel is about the secret meeting on Jekyll Island and the founding of the Federal Reserve, 10 Days on Jekyll Island, an insight into the conception of the ill-fated legislation and the furtive men in power behind it, and another new one, Titanic, A Perfect Crime, a novel that follows the money and questions official hearings that said, uh, she sank in one piece. Wow, that's quite a resume. Patreya Patrick, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. And yes, Titanic is such an amazing piece of history, and this uh, history is coming to this uh, anniversary, so it's a very good time to talk about it and the people that were involved, such as the survivors, and some of the shipmates that made it through, and then the people that uh, picked up some of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Very interesting piece of history, and I'm so glad you're uh, joining and are part of this. Well, bef- before we we get into the particulars, I, I got to ask you. I mean, you got so much on the go. I mean, you're you're uh, very involved in this EMP. Uh, task force and I and the FBI recently said they're very concerned uh, about a, a terrorist uh, threat on the on the grid, the national grid system in the United States and of course Canada and the U.S. Our grids are so intricately uh, connected, uh, and if they go down, I mean it's lights out for an extended period of time, uh, or whether it's a, a, a coronal, you know, a mass ejection, uh, a natural event. Uh, we'd get little warning of that. So much on the go. You're running for Congress. 
why sort of rearview rear mirror 104 years ago and, and talk about the Titanic? Oh, well, I've been doing a lot of research, and in my work, I started doing uh, the film American Empire way back when, and it really it brought me to understand the revolving door between Wall Street and Washington and that corrupt money that we see that is the Millionaire's Club now in Congress. And uh, so I, I did that film, and I, you know, I just do so much research, and I, found, I came across uh, J.P. Morgan, and I was doing a, a, a film uh, that is now going to be a book called Ten Days at Jekyll Island, and it talks about the uh, secret meeting there at, at Jekyll Island and what, uh, por- what was portrayed there which uh, is the Federal Reserve and the establishing of that. And that led me to find out that J.P. Morgan actually owned the White Star Line. And so I thought, well, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I just kept doing a lot of research, and there is actually quite a bit of information. If you tie it together properly, which is what I've tried to do, you come up with some stunning facts. And now that actually Titanic has been found, we have more information that can shine a light on this spectacular subject. But, uh, you know, when you are a researcher and a filmmaker, you, you, it led me to also finding out about this uh, EMP issue as well, and that was a real big one. And so that, again, ties into the power companies that are so greedy and will not let go of the uh, power to serve our power, service our country with power. And so we really are stuck depending on them for reliability of good power and fair bills. But this new information is brought to light that we're also now in a position where they are not stepping forward to harden the grid. So we are, as civilians, in a very difficult situation that we don't know. And so I, I love to bring this information to us as citizens. And so that led me, with all my knowledge, to run for Congress. Wow. Uh, you're one very, very busy lady. Um, yes. Uh, the... Um, it's interesting because you know there is there seems to be you know I, as you go back in time and you these names surface J P Morgan you mentioned him and the power grid and of course it was Morgan that was was uh, funding a Tesla when Tesla was uh, attempting to demonstrate that you could you could transmit electricity through the air wirelessly uh, and uh, suddenly when he he tried to demonstrate that in um, was it Wardenclyffe on Long Island that 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 funding was pulled from from J.P. Morgan, and, and here we are over 100 years after that, and electricity is still pretty much transmitted in the same inefficient old way, you know, where according to the rules, you know, the Moore's Laws, uh, electricity, I mean, we should be light years ahead in terms of where we're, the way we're transmitting electricity, but nothing has changed. But the names remain the same. These, these same names coming up in history. You mentioned J.P. Morgan and the Titanic. Um, let me ask you about. Oh, well, we're going to head into a break, uh, Petraea. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll continue uh, or begin our discussion on Titanic, the perfect crime, right here 
The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Patria Patrick is with us. Titanic, a perfect crime. As we approach the 104th anniversary of the uh, sinking of the Titanic. Uh, now, um, you talked about the, uh, the the book following the illustrious career of J.P. Morgan, and you discovered that it was J.P. Morgan who uh, who owned the White Star Line, and of course, the Titanic was uh, was was part of the White Star Line. Uh, talk to me about so someone else though who's um, uh, very central to this story, and that, of course, is uh, the captain of the Titanic, Captain Smith, and how he he was chosen uh, to be uh, the ship's captain. I thought that Captain Smith had the perfect record, and everyone did. And he looks so illustrious, and he's just a beautiful front man. And what he really was good at was the being uh, attuned to taking care of these first-class passengers that came in. I mean, you'd have, like, the president's son come, like President Taft's son would come and get on the ship, and, and he needed to be treated and wined and dined, and Smith was very good at that, so he was, it was a perfect uh, pick for this captain. But as we look back into the record, he did not have the clean record that we know about. Now, before he took charge to Captain Titanic, he was on the first ship, which was Olympic. So if we backtrack a little bit, J.P. Morgan was very uh, uh, instrumental in designing these three ships. And what he wanted to do was have this beautiful ship that was just so elegant that you would leave from your hotel. Let's say you were staying like at the Ritz Hotel in in Paris or some one of these elegant places, and you'd get on this beautiful ship, and it would just be very luxurious. And then you'd, so it would be like this traveling hotel, which they didn't really have at that time. Cargo ships and carriers and and uh, liners were really just for travel, and they weren't first class. So it was Morgan's idea to take that into account and say, "I I can I can have steerage and below and make a m- bunch of money off the alcohol, and and because uh, people will be traveling for a week and nothing else to do, and I'll make tons of money in steerage, and I'll make all this money in the first class and have this uh, very elite." group that I carry back and forth, and they will come and land in New York, and then they'll go to this very prestigious hotel. So it was all the way around a very good idea. And so Morgan was looking for, you know, he wanted this captain that could accommodate this. Now, that was, there was, uh, Olympic was the first ship off of the line. And so Captain Smith was brought in for for this very job, and he was he was really good at it. And as Titanic, uh, as, I'm sorry, as Olympic went out, she was in a crash with a British ship, a British ship called the Hawk, RMS Hawk, Royal Her Majesty's ship. And so what happened was that Morgan was going to have to pay those charges to... Her Majesty's ship, the Hawk, because it was the Royal Navy, and so they were blamed. And it's hard to say exactly whose fault it was. I, I think Tartan, uh, Olympic at the time was too 
big, you know, they're these really big ships, and they're very difficult to maneuver in time. And so there was this horrible crash, and this HMS Hawk had one of these, uh, like there was a, it's a, it's a piercing, because it's a warship, it had a piercing front edge on the... Uh, like right, in order to ram other ships, right. Yeah, it's like a, like the old Romans had. Like right. It's a ramming ship. And so it, it actually went into Olymp- Olympic and gouged this gigantic hole in her. And so they took her back to to port and tried to figure, like, could they even repair this? And so first the word was, well, we probably could get in there and, and repair her. And then we, uh, it, you know, find out later, well, there there might have been some damage that was irreplaceable but it did make me want to go back and look into captain smith's record and so i found out that he had other crashes as well in previous and and i list them in the book and where the book is really beautiful is that it it, i have it in novel form for my protection but Ah, i was going to ask you why you did that that's i that's i understand yeah Makes sense. Yeah, so everything you're going to read is pretty much based on these testimonials from the survivors and whatnot and pieces of history. So if you look back, you can look back in the history yourself and you'd see, if you start doing it correctly, that you 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 have to look through, it would be through different lines, like what line did a person work for that he had a clean record. So Smith had a clean record on the White Star line, but if you look at the other lines that he was in, you would see again. And that really led me to think, well, why you know, why does he have two sets of records here? And that, that was very questionable. And, uh, and a couple of um, people died because he just wasn't piloting his ship correctly. And so losing the crew members is a very, is a very big dig- deal, and you get a very tainted name for doing that. So it surprised me that this gentleman would be chosen to uh, first off take Olympic, and then later, uh, Olympic was damaged, and so at the point when they decided to bring Titanic out, they were uh, repairing Olympic, and so they asked Captain Smith if he would take Titanic. Now, that just that really uh, caught my attention. It would be like, Richard, if you had a Rolls-Royce and you let me borrow it and took some your best people in it, and I crashed it, and then I came back and said, hey, well, you know, sorry about that. And then you said, well, I have another Rolls-Royce, and I want you to take that one now. Yeah, it, so, obviously uh, the flags are, are, are up. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting because you mentioned the Olympic, and which was, you know, every bit as spectacular as the Titanic. They were almost carbon copies, weren't, weren't they? They were. And this yeah. is what, another thing that raises a red flag. When you look back and you see... Olympics, which was the very first ship off this line, and you look for her maiden voyage, it's in the paper, but it's a very small, little, barely two little lines in a paper, you know, Olympic maiden voyage going off, and you you couldn't even find it if you were looking for it. Yeah, why did the Olympic get virtually no media attention, even though, as you say, first off the line, and then the Titanic, which is the second one off the line, gets all the hoopla? What's going on there? And it did get this hoopla. It got double-page ads. It got fanfare. People came. It was such an, a big ordeal, this ship, that people came from all over. You know, back then they didn't have 
much in the way of entertainment, movies and things like that. So it was a very big, exciting thing. And people came from all over to watch these elite group of passengers get on this ship. And they could watch them sort of board from the, not from a close, from a, they couldn't get too close, but the way the docks were set up, they could get on a, on a, a sister dock there and see this. And they could take sh- pictures of it and... It was quite the thing, and then you'd watch the ship take out into into uh, into the into the soylent, and then up out, on out to sea. And so, for Titanic to get this big extravaganza, and uh, it, the pageantry that went with it was another red flag. Once you start having this many red flags, you wonder what is going on. And one of the things that always irked me, I, I am Irish and uh, Swedish in my upbringing, and I always, they, they, when they say Titanic went down, they like to, one of the theories is why she went down is that her rivets might not have been actually placed and, and uh, heated properly. So they were like, they're saying that the Irish did a, a poor manufacturing, which was very interesting when you go down, and Robert Ballard went down in the first, uh, like a diving bell, he was able, he came up, the first thing he came to was this wall, this wall of iron, and it was just massive, and it seemed like it was never ending, and all he could see was rivets and rivets and more rivets and then finally he came to some portholes and everything was in perfect condition not a rivet was ripped not a rivet was loose not a porthole was broken and it was just like this ship was down there perfectly and as a matter of fact it landed perfectly straight up so it wasn't like landing and then tilted to the side and fell over it landed like and like it was just put there by angels hands and it's very strange and the other thing that was interesting is the normally when a ship would go down you would think okay it's going to go nose first and the nose would be uh the the bow would totally be destroyed so again that looked strange to me that the bow is it looked like it just floated down straight on down and then so the bow is in really good shape uh, there's a couple bevels when you get a little bit uh, farther into, like about where where the captain's quarters are. If you were to go straight down from that, you would see there's a kind of a bevel there where it took a kind of a, a hit when it landed, and then it's perfect again for a very long ways up until you get to the middle of the ship, and all of a sudden it's just gone. The ship is just gone. The other half of it. And what is really odd is that the passengers now that were sort of the survivors, if we go back into that the, the history, when they came back and when they were on uh, in, in the surviving uh, boats in these lifeboats, they these women, these very rich elite women, very sharp women, and uh, you know very uh, capable witnesses, and yet the, when they got back to land they said we couldn't believe we saw, you know we saw her break into it was just it was uh, awful and they were told i'm sorry you were in shock and you just must have been it must have been too much of a traumatic experience for you and the records 
went down in history as Titanic going down in one piece. Even though you had these capable witnesses saying that, they were told that they were just in shock. And so this was another uh, red flag. I wonder if, I'm wondering too, I'd love to see the actual history papers if anyone actually went back to those records and actually ever changed it since it was found by Robert Ballard in uh, 19, was it 19? 83 or something. That sounds about right. Wow. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the British Inquiry, uh, the, the official statement from the British Inquiry was she went down in one piece, and then you have these survivors, as you say, saying, no, they saw her go down in two pieces. So there's another another uh, inconsistency. Uh, I, I want to back up to the, the uh, Olympic just for a moment, because another interesting point the Olympic wasn't involved in, in 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 one in one mishap, not two mishaps, but three mishaps. Three mishaps, and the third one's the most interesting. We should talk about that. Uh, the the uh, the second one was uh, you know, and, and and we just want to mention on too. There were so there were three three crashes that Olympic went through. And they were able to fix her and repair her, and supposedly she's worked, uh, went on for was it 25 years of service in the Brit in the British. Um, they actually took her over for wartime, and they made her a service vessel. And so, can you imagine being on this elegant <laughs> ship that's like Titanic exactly? And you know, they made like the floors for hospitals and such. But so the the uh, one crash that it that she was in was she after she had been rammed with the, the HMS Hawk she was then in uh, where she went and hit um, a, a sunken ship that was known to be there now they were uh, mapping these sunken ships very well so that people wouldn't go into these, that, that area that close, you would be very aware about that. And so these captains were, were quite sure that these wrecks were there and they would have to either go around them or take a different path. And so, again, why would Captain Smith uh, have this crash and run over this vessel that, again, tore his keel so that the, then again she was, uh, um, you know, un unusable and declared a wreck. Wait a minute, are you saying Captain Smith was at the helm for two crashes with the Olympic? Yes. yes. How inept could this man have been? How inept could he have been? And then he gets (laughs) he gets to take the wheel for the Titanic. I mean, (laughs) my word, that's just, it's a comedy of errors. It, it's it, this is where it becomes uh, uh, just unbelievable, and so there was some. Let's go back to Titanic for a bit, and uh, where I like to go in the story is a lot of people. Um, well, there's a lot of things that uh, we don't know, but I found that there was evidence that the British knew at one point that the war was coming. They were very aware of of, of this, and so. They knew they had to figure what they were going to do with their cash of gold. And so they wanted to send it to America for safekeeping. So J.P. Morgan, very aware of this, and he had inside information on this too. And so he's approaching them to say, well, 
I'll save, I'll keep it safe for you. Not only that, I'll invest it if you'd like it to uh, to make some money on it. But you certainly can't be having that much gold in in Britain during war times. No, that's not a good thing. So I will I will make my Titanic ship available for that transfer for you. <laughs> and uh, so lo and behold, when Titanic left, there was there was a a van that came early in the morning and it it didn't have a lot of guards with it and it and not a lot of people knew what the tr- what what was in this um, what was in the van the people knew where it was coming from knew what was in it but what the people guarding it didn't know and they didn't make a big deal of it and they didn't have a whole lot of guards with it so it didn't look too suspicious and it was um, marked marked statues and it went into cargo hold number five uh, Petraea, I'm going to stop you right there. We'll pick up on that point. What was in cargo hold number five? We'll find out when Petraea Patrick returns, the author of the novel Titanic, A Perfect Crime, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Patria Patrick is with us, filmmaker, activist, candidate for uh, Congress, and uh, the author of a number of books, including her new one, a novel, Titanic, A Perfect Crime. Uh, you were talking about England knew they were heading into a war. This is 1912. The war is two years away. And, of course, at this time, there are... Uh, there's plenty of uh, spy craft going on in England, German spies in England, British spies in Germany. There's all sorts of, I'm remembering this now as I'm, because I watched Downton Abbey, <laughs> season one. <laughs> and this is, you know, there's explosions going on and, and basically sort of terrorism going on in, in, um, in Germany and England. So yeah, they were gearing up for war. So, uh, J.P. Morgan invited I guess the British government to load some of their gold, perhaps, onto the uh, onto the Titanic, and you've been able to connect some dots, uh, and you found that there was a sort of a, a van uh, on the dock and uh, sort of low profile, but they were loading something into cargo hold number five, Petraea, and what was it? Crates headed for J.P. Morgan's museum, and they were. It, it marked as museum statues, so they uh, went unnoticed. Now, perhaps this is another good uh, piece of wealth that would be on Titanic today. Another good reason why divers might want to go down there and why this uh, is still something that people would want to venture on down there. It's very risky to go down that far, and... Uh, try to get inside the ship. So it, it and and let's say if even anyone did, would we even know? So these are are questions that we uh, kind of need to ask. But Titanic is laying down there, and she's supposedly supposed to be off limits now. But there are, there were many pirates that took what they wanted when uh, she was available to do this. So. This gold is is a big piece of the puzzle here, but I just wanted to uh, mention too on the um, three. We were talking about the three crashes. That why why Titanic why why actually Titanic had a crash too almost a near miss 
on its maiden voyage. And it was because of these triple blade screws, what they call the triple blade screws. Titanic and Olympic were the first ever to use this, what they call the triple screw system. And so if we go back to Olympic, when she first had one of, uh, one of her first voyages out, she was going uh, in the water and pulling so much water that she actually, with the force of the uh, force of the water, it pulled a tugboat off of the dock there and its own mooring and pulled it into 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 Olympic. And it, so that was the first crash that that did happen, and that was with Smith. So that was the first one, and then the second one was with this hawk, the RMS hawk, and this big giant hole that went into her, which was really devastating. And then the third, she did hit this sunken uh, ship, which pulled the keel into irreplaceable, really irreplaceable damage. It was really going to be a big deal to, to fix and afford to fix that ship. So, yes, why would, back to, why would Morgan say, I'll let you drive my brand new one on a maiden voyage that I'm even going to really make big note about and everything, and I'm inviting all kinds of people to be on the ship. So that was really uh, strange. Another thing that was really interesting is if you look at most ships when they do go down, they get hit on, let's say they get hit even by a torpedo, because some of them were hit by torpedoes. They usually start listing, and then they go down in a very short time. Lusitania went down in 18 minutes. Right, right. And Titanic had all of these watertight doors. And to me, it was a feat of history. That is where the real history is. And I'm I'm hoping people will get the book because I don't want to give everything away. No, no, no. We don't want to do that. But but I will tell you that it is the biggest feat in history that that ship stayed afloat as long as it did. Because when you have a gash on one side... It's going to draw, and it's going to tip. That's just sort of the nature of, of ships. And so it's also interesting that there are theories that it might have been a smarter idea to crash into the iceberg, not turn into it. You would have had less loss of crew, and maybe you'd lose the first crew uh, that were up front. Maybe 30 people would, would have perished, but you would have would have saved the rest of the ship, and those watertight doors would have still been uh, intact and working. But you, you, you so, point out, I mean, it, the bow is what took the, the brunt of the uh, the collision with the iceberg, and yet, according to, I guess it's Ballard, when he searched it and found the Titanic in two pieces, uh, the, the damage was to the midsection, and the bow, which again took the, the, the brunt of the crash, was in relatively good shape. This is this is my quest for why is that, and I think that there. Uh, it, this is this is where I why I wanted to write the book. It's just it was too in, interesting and too exciting to not answer those questions, and so we have to look at what in the world would tear a ship apart like that. You know, I I went to, and I've looked at the Queen Mary, and I've also exclusively looked at. There's some very good pictures of Titanic laying on the sea floor. And there's something in a ship called an expansion joint, and it's the, uh, the uh, it's like a big steel plate in the ship, and it gives the ship uh, the ability to move and take these big 
storms and not break in half. And that would be the logical place for a ship if she was just going to break in half, that it would have broken at that point. All right. Did it not? All right. We'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back. The book is Titanic, A Perfect Crime. Filmmaker, activist, candidate for U.S. Congress, author, Petraea Patrick, stays with us. I hope you'll do the same. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, welcome back. Time is tight. We never have enough time. Uh, Petraea P- Patrick is here. The book is Titanic, A Perfect Crime. Uh, let's let's uh, move ahead. Okay, so the, the Titanic uh, hits, the, uh, hits the iceberg, uh, and um, they fire off their, uh, their, their distress rockets, if you will, and just sitting out there about five miles away, uh, we have another vessel called the Californian. And uh, apparently they saw the rockets, these distress rockets, being fired in the distance. Uh, but they really took their sweet time getting there, coming to the rescue, didn't they? Well, you know, it's very interesting. Let's look at this one question. Who owned the Californian? What cargo was the Californian carrying? Answer number one, Morgan owned the Californian. And number two, what cargo was it carrying? It really wasn't carrying any cargo and it was unheard of at that time that you would send a ship out uh, and, and have it be empty. It just wasn't profitable. They found 3,000 sweaters and brandy and 3,000 blankets. That's just a very strange cargo. It just happens to be almost enough for the people who were on Titanic. It's just kind of interesting. Mm. So, yes, and it was it was up there, and it was sitting there with its radio off and just waiting, waiting, waiting. Waiting for what is my question. So the uh, things like that, you know, really have to bring us into uh, bring this into light. And when when the, the ships that came, there was a Mackie Bennett that came and actually picked up the survivors, or the bodies, not the survivors, but the, the next few days. It wasn't even a few days later that the Mackie Bennett was sent out, and they found bruised bodies all kinds of bruised bodies. And one of the things they had said that when um, they were picking up the first survivors, they uh, didn't want to pick up too many. And Ismay was saying, let's get away from this. And, and he ordered, for some reason, he even had the ability to order this Captain Lord to uh, go, go, you know, go to port instead of, you know, really pick up these bodies now they knew they were dead but one of the reasons i believe that it was done is because the ismay did not want anyone to see these bodies were all bruised and blown up because if the ship just sank they would be drowned but they wouldn't be bloody and bruised so when the mackie bennett came to pick up the rest of the bodies that were able they uh saw them in this you know it was just it was overwhelming the amount of uh, destruction to the bodies and such so and i also question too ismay also ordered that the bodies that were the first few bodies that were brought back were put in bags and they uh were sealed so that we wouldn't see that too so that's strange evidence why he wouldn't you know why he has to cover that up and 
uh, another interesting thing was White Star spent a lot of money after Olympic had this had her third crash. They decided, look, we're going to make her look better too, and they spent a lot of time and money making two ships really identical twins. They were pretty much twins, but at that point they really spent a lot of time doing that. Okay, let me see if we can connect some dots here then. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, the evidence would tend to suggest that it wasn't the iceberg uh, that brought down the Titanic. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's it's um, the midsection suffered considerable damage. The bow, which supposedly hit the iceberg, uh, the iceberg, not so much damage. Then we have these reports of these bodies, bloodied, battered, uh, bruised. All this pointing to a possibly what? An explosion on board. Is that the idea? Yes, and when you go down and you look at the actual where the, the break is, where it's not even it's not even a break. It's just like so undistinguishable that it's it's beyond you know just it's just rippage, and it had to be strong enough that it actually blew out. You know, you have these giant turbines. You have the engine room. You have the turbine room and uh, the boiler room. And these were, you know, massive big pieces that uh, are not easily damaged. So for them to be damaged is, you know, it's beyond beyond belief that whatever that was that could do it. It's just definitely not that it just sunk. Well, further, further to that, you point out in the book that the shipmates, there's a number of shipmates on the Titanic... The last stop uh, before they headed across the Atlantic, a number of them jumped ship after, you point out, after they went down to the boiler room. So what's yeah. going on there, Patricia? Well, and, and this is, let's just make a little bit more light of that, too. Is this was a time when there was a big ship strike in England at the time in Ireland or around that area. Anyway, in the shipping area, there was a coal strike, so ships weren't going out, and so it was jobs were very hard to come by and if there was a job on the most prestigious beautiful ship going out and you could get it why would you go you know they took it they took it uh, a few a few stops and then they said we're getting off before she you know at the last stop and why would they do that when jobs were so, so scarce at that moment people really needed to feed their families and so this would be not an opportune time to do that so something alerted them when they went into this boiler room down there and they kept their mouth shut about it they did they did not talk about it they until much much later after the fact that she went down so there were there were people that uh, were talking about some things that they thought were going on in the bars and the pubs at that time the workers would get together but they were very afraid of getting caught talking about it and if you didn't have a job, that you would not survive at that time. You know, there were, so people were very cautious about saying anything, and they were really doing what they were told. As a matter of fact, when the crew came back on those lifeboats, they were taken to this warehouse, and they were debriefed, which is very strange. Instead of being taken right directly to their family and being given warm clothing and warm treatment and love and kindness and and nurturing they were taken to this cold shed and people uh, that were high up in the white star line came and gave them this debriefing of whatever that was which was 
quite odd. And so it's just so many things, Richard, that just it makes it the most fantastic story. I, I just tell you, I you know, I just get excited and chills when I when I when I was learning all of this, and I just thought, what a great uh, story this will be, and I was so excited to put it into writing and in a, in a captivating way. And the evidence is out there if you one cares to look. And I think it's neater when someone, you know, I think I will inspire people to go and do some research on it themselves and don't just take my word for it, but it's just a, right now it's just a novel, but uh, if, you know, I, sometimes I say if it, if it didn't happen that way, it should have. Right, but, right. You know, Morgan plays a very big part in this, and Morgan was such an interesting man, and what what drove me to get into this story in the first place is because of his monopolizing. You know, he owned all of the trains, he owned the steel, he owned the the banking, he wanted to uh, take over the shipping lines, and I would you know, I just, there wasn't, he was also into the energy. We were talking about Tesla and, and the power today. He st- uh, still runs the banks, but he was very, he was the first house to have electricity, uh, you know, a, like of a private home to have his, to have electricity in his house. And, and he was backing both Tesla and Edison. So th- this gentleman could afford to do many, many things, and I sometimes my my thing is I think he might have been overspent at some points and maybe uh, driven to do some of the things that get explained in the book. And I don't think other people, I don't think anyone's really delved into this like I have. So I think it's it's a really, really interesting read. And I think it really puts forth why we're in some of the predicaments we are in today. You can see that some of this history began that was at this time because that was all of a sudden an acceptable practice to do for this kind of people for this for the upper elite to behave in these ways and uh, that, that that's revealed in the book all right i think we have time to we can work in a in a quick call i don't have a name but uh, they're they're on the line from indiana who do we have doug from indiana welcome to the conspiracy show you're on the line with patria patrick go ahead yeah, this is real interesting. Talk about the Titanic and the Atlantic. And there was a third ship in that uh, category of ships, too. Wasn't it the Britannic? Yes, it was called Gigantic at first. And then they, uh, after the two other ships had seen such peril, they decided to change the name to uh, Britannic. Yeah, if, I, if I remember right, during World War One, early part of World War One, it was painted into a hospital ship, uh, status and it ran into a landmine and it had to beach itself or tried to beach itself but the nurses on the ship at the time had all the the hatches open on it as it listed water started pouring in on the hatches and they lost that ship so that uh, that uh, line of ships is really profitable you know <laughs> yes it is you know and what one of the interesting things and I'm glad you brought that up was when she when Britannic sunk uh, I believe she was. I believe they came back and scuttled her, which I thought was really weird. And or or might have been uh, Olympic when she went down. I would think that that would be the ship. Like I know right now today, you can go to the Queen Mary, and it's a stunning ship, and it's nowhere near as stunning as Britannic was. When Britannic went down, it was still in reasonably shallow water, and 
it would have been so fantastic for them to salvage that and make that a museum today that people could go on and actually, if it was out of the water, it would be in quite good shape. The reason Titanic is uh, falling into disrepair is that just the, even though it's in deep water, which keeps some of it in really good repair, there are a lot of microorganisms that are kind of eating eating the ship. And so we we aren't even sure how long she'll last. But the fact is that they could have brought Olympic back up and we could have her today to do tests on and actually maybe do, you know, you know they, they do a lot of this schematically now, but at, it, it bef- because we are more digital now. But before, when we didn't have that, it would have just been, it would be fantastic. It would be the greatest museum if we had an Olympic to be able to get aboard her and walk on her and, and dine in her restaurants and, and go below. And it would be like being on Titanic. Why they didn't do that is a is a a real red flag. Well, it's almost like real, like destroying the, uh, the 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 crime scene. Almost like the way they hauled off all of the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the debris from from nine eleven. Uh, yeah, the one that was covered with thermite. Oh, <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> wow, what a what a uh, a spellbinding uh, a story, uh, Petraea. Just when we thought we knew everything about the Titanic, along comes uh, Petraea Patrick and her novel. Titanic, a perfect crime. I really enjoyed this. Listen, we have to talk again. I get you back on. There's so much to talk about. Uh, the EMPs, we need to talk about um, the lack of a food strategy in North America, uh, water, you name it. And, and you're all over it and uh, running for political office as well. Um, would you be good for that? We'll come back. You come back maybe in a month or two? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Petraea. It's my pleasure. What a great show. My pleasure as well. Thank you. Thank you. All right, the website, strangeplanet.ca. Follow me on Twitter at Richard Serrett. S-Y, because I love you. R-E-T-T, say hello. Please follow the truth.